0: Give us grace, Lord Jesus, to hear the scriptures which bear witness to you, to be thankful for the grace shown in these pages, and to heartily desire that your Holy Spirit enliven our wills, that we might follow and serve you in newness of life, to the glory of your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it was in 1948, during the um, the Arab-Israeli conflicts uh, after Israel's declaration of independence, that an Arab force uh, decided to make an attack on the town of Castel, which controlled the western approach to Jerusalem. Uh, so they went in, they pushed the Israeli army far from the center of town, but then. Uh, the Arab soldiers grew hungry. They had run out of food. So they took a time out from their attack to send women into the village to market, uh, to buy them food. Uh, and then the Israeli soldiers pushed back and recovered the lost ground. Uh, then after a while, the, the Arabs, bellies full, uh, re, rejoined their attack and made some progress, but then they ran out of ammunition. Seems like if you're going into battle, you would want to make sure you had a good supply of ammunition. Uh, and so they backed off so they could go uh, find some ammunition elsewhere. But while they were doing that, the Israelis retook the ground and Israeli ammunition found the Arab general uh, and put an end to that attack because they would not do so without their charismatic leader. That's uh, rather interesting because the the Arab force there knew that they were at war, they knew what war and battles were for, but they did not have the insight or the discernments to figure out how to conduct themselves in, in the midst of it. Uh, they had knowledge, but they were but but they were missing something else at, at its core, and that's uh, that, writ small, is, is sort of a, uh, is another way of looking at our world. Whatever the problem is in our world, it's not lack of knowledge. There's a lot of knowledge out there. Some of it is even true. Um, but knowledge is not the key. What God's people are called to do is to go beyond that. It, it's, it's not just a matter of data. But, but to think through and discern the path forward to follow the words of that great American philosopher and musician, who who um, Jimi Hendrix, who said, knowledge speaks, but wisdom listens. It is not just knowing, but leaning into how to live, and that is our struggle. That is our difficulty. And Wisdom is at the center of our Old Testament passage from 1 Kings, which you can uh, come back to on pages 7 and 8 of your bulletin. And, and for for b- b- even though we're not going to plunge into too much of what is wisdom, that we're looking at other parameters today, we, we could define wisdom maybe in this working uh, definition as your ability to shape your will and your desire. So that you might discern from what you know to discover the good, the virtuous, and the Christ-like way to live. And the question that arises from that is, well, how do we find it? How do we develop it? How do we continue in it? And we, we take our cue from this narrative here in 1 Kings 3 that we seek the help of God. In verse 9, Solomon asks the Lord for an understanding mind. Or, if we're going to render it uh, more vividly from the Hebrew text, he says, give your servant a hearing heart. There's our hope. God is at work to provide his people, you and me today, with hearing hearts so that we might clearly see both the God who gives wisdom and the need we have for it as well. So, in this struggle to be genuinely wise, what is there? First five verses of chapter 3, we encounter the God who gives wisdom. We see uh, th- th- this story uh, pointing us to a God who pursues his people, to, to give wisdom yes there's a sense in which we have to ask for it but the impetus the initiative comes from god he pursues his people graciously first of all and this is this is the way he pursues solomon uh, and, and uh, it, that may be difficult to see because verse 3 says Solomon loved the Lord. It doesn't seem to be much of a problem for Solomon. Why does he need the grace of God? He loves the Lord. In fact, I, I think this may be the only time in the Old Testament that, uh, that, uh, that a male is specifically said to have loved the Lord. Uh, so, so that's important. And he's walking in the, in the way of David, his father, who is, who is faithful to God, a man after God's own heart. But in the midst of all that, he still displays the crud that is going to metastasize later in his reign. He takes Pharaoh's daughter from Egypt. Nothing against um, other cultures or anything and God didn't have anything against other people because of ethnicities or anything but the reason why God told his people in the Old Testament do not marry foreign wives do not take foreign wives is because they will turn your heart away from me and this is what ends up happening in 1st Kings eleven. Uh, And and so it's going to explode later in the women that he accumulates and in the worship that he allows of other religions. And yet in spite of Solomon's proclivities, in spite of the fact that God, who has comprehensive, infinite knowledge, and knows the future, and he knows where this is going in advance, he still pursues Solomon in order to gift him with whatever Solomon wants. How do you explain God's willingness to do that to a sinful individual like Solomon? And you may say, well, yeah, he's a king. What about me? Um, What what about us? It's true, we don't have an exact parallel with Solomon in terms of position. But we have a parallel with Solomon in terms of inclination where Paul says in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul is talking there about the radical corruption that inflicts every human being on the planet, where our core is affected by, by sin. We're not as bad as we could possibly be, but, but there is nothing in ourselves that we bring to the table that can please God in and of ourselves. And we have this natural bent to, to not do what God desires us to do. So you might be amazed that here there is a God who loves and pursues you uh, just as you are. It's actually more than that. God pursues us graciously in spite of who we are. That is, There's no reason why God should offer his gifts to Solomon or you or me, because grace is truly amazing. And he pursues generously in addition to graciously. He corners Solomon here at Gibeon. He says, ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Can you imagine if God showed up and asked you? What do you want? I'll give it to you. Now, that's going to be very revealing about ourselves because however we... However we respond to that will reveal our hearts. But it's not a gotcha moment. God is totally open-ended. And we might think that's a spot moment in the Old Testament about God's generosity and God's openness. But fast forward, if you would, to James chapter 1 where James is encouraging uh, Christian believers in the in the New Testament era uh, to endure in their trials and to be faithful. And how do they do that? He says in verse five if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. Whatever good things we need. God knows we need them. God says, I'm going to give it to you in abundance. Now, do you honestly think of God as generous? Do you think that he is overwhelmingly liberal in his dealings with you, as kind and as gracious? that, That idea stuns us. Kind of like the moment years ago at the, at an Illinois zoo where a toddler fell into a pit of gorillas in a gorilla exhibit. And there was one female gorilla who scooped up the toddler and brought him over to a side door, set him there so the zookeeper and the family could get him to safety. That's a wonderful story, but that's not what we, that kindness is not what we usually associate with gorillas. Amen. And sometimes I think, I'm convinced we have this gorilla view of God where he's stingy, he's not going to be kind and generous and gracious. But if we are in need of wisdom, the good news from this passage is we are pursued. We're not left alone. God comes to us in grace and generosity. And so it begins with a God who does that and we can have hope in that. And in Him. Uh, But this also leads us to the need that requires wisdom. Uh, The the reason why God pursues us is because uh, there's a lack, there there, there is a void, there's something deep within us where we require um, this discernment, the the idea of uh, crafting our wills and desires to know how to live in virtuous Christ like. Ways. So, how does Solomon respond? Uh, in, starting in verse six, well, if God asks you what do you want, and me, we're probably going to respond with, "Here it is. Here's my request." Notice that Solomon does not lead with his requests. Solomon leads with a remembrance of God's steadfast faithfulness. It seems like the biblical writer is telling us when you respond to God's generosity and grace, you do so in a way that is focused on God. So Solomon begins by remembering who, who God is. Uh, and he says, "You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father. Uh, he walked before you. He, 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 talks about, uh, he talks about David's faithfulness and then he said, "And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given a son to sit on his throne this day." He's referring to the promise. Made in Second Samuel seven, what is sometimes called the Davidic covenant, where God promises the 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 dynasty to David uh, on on the throne in Jerusalem. And Solomon says, "You, you are fulfilling it." Granted, it's a short term fulfillment, uh, but but you're being faithful. Uh, but God keeps long term promises as well. Verse eight, he says, "Your servant is in the midst of your people." whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Well, that's going back a thousand years previously in Genesis 15, where God tells Abraham, who at that time was nearing the century mark of age and had not produced a male child or any child at all, and and says, look up at the stars and see if you can count them. That's what your descendants are going to be like. And Solomon is saying, you kept that seemingly impossible promise, and, and you're faithful. So, so Solomon is pointing us that, that when God is gifting us, our first response needs to be, what a faithful God we serve. So when you're in true need of wisdom for any pressing matter, there's a tendency where we start to think, what's going to be my response? How am I going to get through this scenario? How crafty do I need to be? How strategic do I need to be? And so we need to ask ourselves, where is your hope initially? Is it in your giftedness or is it in the God who gifts you? Is it in consternation or is it in confidence in God? when you are having issues that are vexing your family and the relationships within it, whether it be your immediate or extended family, for example, is your first tendency to say, okay, this is what I need to do. Natural. But what this passage seems to be directing us to is we need to remember that wherever I am, whatever situation I am and God is steadfast and he is faithful and he will see me through even if I don't see the details right now. But there are other needs here, not just the need to remember God's faithfulness, but also our shortcomings. Solomon says in, in verse 7, this, this is beyond me. He says, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, which is a marker of God's faithfulness, although I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. This is my first rodeo, he is telling God. He says, I'm a kid. I don't have it in me. I don't bring to the table what's required. Guess what? That can be an encouragement to us. That God does not put people in situations where their abilities and their gifts are running at 100% full throttle. That tends to be God's way to work in our unfinishedness. But that the the application of that takes us beyond our text. But also, he's got overwhelming situations in response to God's faithfulness in enlarging the nation of Israel and having all these people in faithfulness to His promise to Abraham. Psalm is like. I, who's able to govern this great people of yours? I'm in the midst of this people who you've chosen. They can't be numbered. Uh, and I, how am I going to pull this off? I, I just don't know. The situation in front of me is absolutely frightening. Frightening. It's interesting that even in the midst of God's steadfast faithfulness to his promises, those can create great need that we have. The two go together. And we see our inability all the more. But this should give us hope. Because it points us to this truth of the God who has been faithful to his promises we will be faithful to give you what you require to live on trusting in his promises. It was in 1944 in Holland in the town of Osterbeek that uh, the market garden offensive of the Nazis was coming through in response to um, in, in response to the allied push. Um, and there were a number of British wounded soldiers holed up in the Schoenord uh, Hotel in Osterbeek. There were German guards trying to get to them. Uh, Dutch volunteers and British medics were kind of helping out in the hotel. And there was one, there's one particular expression of what was going on that came from the daughter of the hotel owner, a young lady named Hendrika van der Vlist. Uh, she was not only caring for the, um, for the allied wounded, she was also keeping a diary. And she said this on September 24th, which was a Sunday. She writes, this is the day of the Lord. War rages outside. The building is shaking. So the doctors cannot operate or fix casts. We have no water to wash the wounded. Overwhelming scenarios and looking at uh, what they are not able to do. And yet she says in the midst of that, this is the day of the Lord. Yes, we have our shortcomings. Yes, the scenarios are overwhelming. But God is still God. That's what you take into those overwhelming moments when you are so in need of the wisdom of God. It's not about what we can or can't do or what is or isn't happening, but it's on God's fidelity to you and to me. And that can be such an encouragement. And that's where when we trust in God, to meet us in the midst of our unfinishedness, in the midst of our deep need, that's when we are equipped to please him. Because when Solomon asks for that hearing heart, that understanding mind, it says in verse 10, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And then God goes above and beyond. He gives Solomon what he asks for, which is wisdom, But but, but he also says, um, I will also give you what you have not asked, riches, honor. If you walk in my way, I will lengthen your days. Uh, He he just piles it on. God is pleased, and it's in that pleasure that we find the true, abundant grace of God. It's much like a moment uh, from history in the reign of Alexander the Great. He had many people serving in his court, and one such individual was a a philosopher who had very outstanding ability, but very little money. And he went to Alexander, and he asked for financial help to assist he and his family. And uh, Alexander said, well, just go go to my treasurer and withdraw whatever cash you need from the imperial treasury. This is Alexander the Great saying this. So the philosopher went to the treasury. He submitted a request for an amount equal to probably a year's salary, which is pretty overwhelming, pretty abundant. And the the treasurer refused the request. He's like, no, 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 no. You, You don't go there. This is, this is not the Alexander I know. So he had to go, the treasurer had to go to Alexander the Great and verify that that was authorized. And when he asked Alexander, is this really true? You know, this, this, is, this is a bit too much. Alexander replied, pay the money at once. And he gave his reason he said the philosopher has done me a singular honor by the largeness of his request he shows that he has understood both my wealth and my generosity and ultimately this sliver of solomon's life here in first kings 3 it's this unique request ultimately it's not about solomon it's not about us. This points us to our Savior and King, Almighty God, who is ready to give you the wisdom you need and the wisdom you pray for. For God not only provides you with wisdom, He has also provided the one whose wisdom is greater than souls. Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus, whom the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, identifies as possessing all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And if God has given you the wisdom of Christ, and indeed if God has given us Christ himself, as this table of bread and wine displays, he will never fail you in any way. Amen. Almighty and triune God, today we beg for wisdom because we are sorely in need and because you are a generous and gracious God and you delight in us and in giving what we truly need. Give us this day, Lord, hearing hearts that we might discern our paths wisely and may we always do so trusting that we are firmly within your grip O faithful Redeemer, in your name we pray. Amen.